Hello and welcome to another episode of the Construction Corner Podcast. I'm Dylan. I'm your host, uh, joined by my blue-collar badass. However, I'm just going to do an intro here for our illustrious uh, guest, Scott Peeper. Scott uh, has been on the show before, and today uh, we've gone through... Scott is just a genius in all of this stuff and and cash flow and funding and getting everything right for you guys. Um, I'm doing this intro and prefacing a ton of stuff because Scott is just super good at what he does. And with that, you need to take in mind that he's going to kind of run through this quickly and all the funding stuff, everything you need to do to get your books in line, your cash flow, um, having all your charts and Excel sheets. Here's the deal. At the end of the day, one by Scott's book. That's what he's here for. He wrote it. It's, you know, 20 bucks or or 10. It's, it's cheap. It's a cheap book. Go get it. It'll, it's well worth it. Two is he has a ton of free resources on his website, which you'll check out in the links below um, to help you through it. And three, if you do need funding or you do want to walk through this, I'm sure Scott and his team would be more than happy to help you figure this all out because uh, it is complicated. You're not going to get it in the show. Uh, we go over it thoroughly here but again just to preface this scott is a genius when it comes to this cash flow thing you need to understand it and it's going to help your business run better at the end of the day um so enjoy this conversation between matt scott and myself uh, without further ado take it away we have the extreme honor and pleasure of having my good personal friend scott peeper back in the studio for I think visit at least number two, if not number three. Scott, welcome back, brother. Thanks, man. I appreciate it, Matt. And uh, I think this is visit number two. You and I have talked so many times, but you and I have been on multiple webinars, so I get confused whether this is which one we're actually on and who's 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 what. But thank you. A- absolutely, man. It's always it's always a good chat, and we can uh, we can chop it up on the mics, no matter what the format. Yeah, no doubt. How's everything going, Scott? You got some big news to share. Yeah, it's been good, man. We've had uh we've had our fair share of um good and bad in 2023 so far. Um plenty of news in around banks and yeah, we're not a bank, thank God, but some people think we are, so they have <laughs> lots of questions when they call us up. We had oh, lots of customers imagine. asking us questions. Um all good, great questions. As a matter of fact, I was actually very pleased to hear um, are, are folks asking and inquiring, like, does it impact you? Because usually I remember days years ago when no one asked us anything and I used to get scared to death of that. I feel like, you know, well, there's love, real stuff you should know, ask, you know, but all's good, man. We've been, we've been doing really well. And uh, the customers and people that we're, we've seen working, it's like any time and there's people doing really good stuff and they're, they have more of it and even better. And then there's folks that were, you know, on the edge and some of these macro factors, you know, the last straw. So, well, that's good to hear, man. Um, I, I wasn't even going to go there, but let's let's touch on that real quick. And, and Dylan, welcome, buddy. Good to see you. Um, hey, Dylan. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. We just started. Um, so, Scott, what uh, what effect, if any, did all the the banking craziness have on you guys? I know you're not a bank, thank God, but but I'm sure you deal with lots of them. So, did it? Did it throw you guys through the ringer for that couple of weeks there? Um, you know, it depends. I guess it depends on which banking crisis we're talking about. The one that raised <laughs> rates so high um, or the most recent one, you know, with uh, Silicon Valley Bank and the First Republic. 
Um, I was specifically referring to Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic. But, you know, even if you go back six months ago, just the rate increases and the noise around the Fed, I mean, that's definitely impacted us. I mean, for perspective, our cost of capital on our bank line has nearly gone up 100%. I mean, so wow. that's a real number. <clears throat> um, did we impact or change costs, pricing structure to our customers? No, we did not. Um, a lot of reasons why. I mean, it's certainly justified if we wanted to, but I feel like we, um, where we're helping and how we're helping is is where it's supposed to be. And it just didn't seem like a good business decision for us to do. And um, we're we're doing fine, and rates will come back down, and so we're we're good. So that's the where we're at with it. But yeah, it impacted us. I mean, look, it's it's easily a few employees worth of costs, you know, by sitting very quickly. It could be so. Um, that was impactful, but I think that, you know, the Silicon Valley bank noise and all that, I, I think fortunately there was enough news and enough smart people and enough talk about it and the Fed fixing things quick enough that it didn't get to the point where I had to explain what was going on to someone. I think people actually went through their own evolution quick enough, fortunately, in this situation. Um, so it wasn't that impactful, but people worry, like, did it impact us? Did we bank with Silicon Valley Bank or First Republic? And we don't. Um, so that would have been a concern. Yeah. I mean, look, if if Valley Bank, who we bank and partner with, instead of Valley, it was Silicon Valley Bank. Yeah, that would probably have had a little impact on us. Um, but, you know, Valley did an amazing job. They they communicate with us right away. They explain to us where they're at, what they're doing, how they're doing it, why they're doing it the way they're doing it, and how those types of scenarios can't um, where they impact could impact them. They're not for certain reasons and what what precautions they take to avoid something like that. So it was we, we have a great partner in them. Well, that's good to hear. Um, it certainly was a, a tumultuous, you know, couple of weeks there. And, it, you know, in the construction world, it doesn't doesn't necessarily affect us directly, but it it sure as shit puts the fear of God into everyone we're working for real fast. Oh, yeah. You know, when when guys are ready to to sign on the dotted line for, a you know, a seven figure project, it it gets real scary real fast. So. Uh, yeah, we well, I mean, for you guys, if you were 50% of the way through a bank or a project funded by a bank that was going under, I mean, that would definitely impact the entire project, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it put the fear of God into to me. I mean, we, um, my wife and I started moving funds around, you know, very quickly. So, because it was like, oh shit, we got, uh, you know, too much here and, and not enough here. So let's, let's kind of spread it around here real fast before you know, we, we didn't pull it out. We, or it's not in the shoebox under the bed quite yet, but, you know, you got to do what you got to do. No, it's true. Um, well, good deal, man. I'm glad to hear that. That, But uh, in other big news, and, and the real one of the real reasons we brought you on today is, is Scott, you are now a, a published author, my man. The yes. big book of cash flow. And, and I'm happy to say I have read it now all the way through once. And I'm, I've been back through it making notes for, for today and for for the future, but why don't you give us kind of a, a high level uh, run through of what the book's all about and, and what prompted you to write it? And and I'm going to ask you lots of questions and I'm sure Dylan yeah. is too. <laughs> all right. Well, look, for the last 10 years, we've been seeing and working with all different types of small businesses, small businesses, but in particular with a major, major focus in construction, especially early on and, and still today. And what we, what I quickly realized is all those stigmas about construction or they're terrible with money and all that stuff that everyone's heard and we don't need to belabor them now. I can tell you wholeheartedly 
there's bad people in construction that that don't understand cash flow. There's also very good people in construction that don't understand cash flow. But at the end of the day, there's also extremely talented people that understand cash flow very well, but still struggle with cash flow and construction. And the reason is, is because the cash flow cycle of this industry is so unique and so different that if you were to try to take it and put it on top of any other industry, it would probably ruin most of them. Restaurants, for example, if you took the restaurant industry that we all enjoy regardless um, and told them they can only invoice their customers at the end of every month, and then everyone that went that month had the entire next 30 days to pay them back and also take their time. And it was warranted and normal for you to take an extra 10 to 15 days. And then when you did pay them, you could hold back 10% of it <laughs> such that in case you wanted to go back there and you didn't like your experience, you could, you could hold them accountable to it, which in this case might've been 50% of their actual profit for the restaurant. We wouldn't have restaurants to go to. And as ridiculous as that sounds for anyone that is never, why I'm even saying that and you don't in construction, that's literally how the construction industry works. And so my point in bringing up this book is I realized that there's two things that I needed to work for and towards with regards to um, customers and cash flow or just people in our network and cash flow. And number one, being in a being involved very much in construction, but not being on one side or the other, I think it's our duty to kind of explain some of those nuances or at least offer perspective for the other side, whether it's a GC or a sub or whether it's industry versus the the in people in the industry versus people out of the industry or developers and then subcontractors. Developers really have no idea what goes on beyond the contract they signed with a general contractor, which was shocking to me, but they really don't. Um, and I say that because I had partners in this business at one point that were actually developers and they had no clue what actually occurred. So the reason I wrote the book is to kind of help make a little normalcy out of like, hey, hey, by the way, nobody's dumb here and nobody is like hurting themselves by thinking they're dumb because this this stigma, it's just really hard. So if you can survive in this world and then you went and worked in a retail business where you bought product, put it on the shelf someone took it, gave you a credit card, you paid for it. And the deposit came in that night. I mean, you'd be thinking like, this is the easiest thing in the earth. So there's other problems with those businesses too. That doesn't mean they don't have their own cash flow concerns, but I wrote the book to one, let people know, Hey, this is really hard. A B there's nothing wrong with you. C you should put these things in place to make sure you can really compete and be successful in this this cash flow cycle. I wouldn't even call it the industry. Let's just say in this cash flow environment. And then I also noticed that because of those reasons, a lot of people, and this is one other key thing about construction, a great majority of people that get into the construction industry get into it because it's what they love to do. They were in the trade or they, and they, most people were in the trade doing something in it and said to themselves, oh, you know what, I don't like the person that I'm doing this for, or they were forced into it. And then they forced themselves into being a little bit of an entrepreneur. And then they figured it out. But but very few people come at the industry from, a, I'm a finance person, and I'm going to figure out the entrepreneurial side and the technician side. That, does, that doesn't really occur. So you don't have like that third part of the pie coming in as finance. So it's it's also a, a, a weakness of your typical person who gets into construction. It's not a, something they picked up along the way. And so 
I wanted to create a simple, easy way with the book that like was a resource for people to go to, to say, Hey, this is what margin is. You know, all the stuff that people ask us quietly when they get comfortable and they, they feel embarrassed to do it for others, but we will, we explain it to them, you know? And so what is margin? What is markup? But what does that mean when I'm bidding? What does that mean when I'm actually collecting profit? What is the difference between cash flow or like cash true cash flow that's positive in this project versus the my bid sheet that says I'm going to make such and such percent? They're actually different. You know, what is that difference? And so I just wanted to like explain the normal basics as I saw it anyway, and through the eyes of our customers or people in our network in the construction world put it in a 90 page book that anybody could read almost in a blink and then put in some charts and include resources that provided, here's what it is. Here's why it's a problem. And here's at least one solution you can access quickly and easily via our website. That was the main goal. Well, I, I can say first kudos on, on doing it. Um, you know, that that's a huge accomplishment just to get, get all your thoughts on paper and actually get it organized into a cohesive document like that and go through the, the work of publishing. And that's, that's awesome. So congrats on that. And um, the restaurant example is, is just effing fantastic, right? Because people don't get it right. We, we get so inclined, you know, Dylan and I, and everyone that I work with, we talk to construction guys, right? So construction guys just know what's going on. And it's not this, this weird elephant in the room, but if you get outside of that circle, People look at you like you're friggin' crazy. Oh yeah, and, and the restaurant examples. I've never heard it put that way, but I'm, I might steal that from you, Scott. You you should. Uh, I came up with it on my own one day, and I've been using it ever since because it's one of those things that everybody can relate to. You know. Oh, it's it's fantastic. Uh, and you're also right on that. That most of us, myself included, we have no real business training behind us, right? And I, I wasn't forced into this industry by any means, but I was kind of just in the industry and, and got to the point where I was like, well, shit, either I'm going to keep toiling and, and working for someone else, or I'm going to take the next step and, and figure this thing out. And, and I chose the latter, but I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I mean, I still don't know what the hell I'm doing to this day. It's, it's, it's working out, but you know, especially in the beginning, like there wasn't a, I, I didn't have the big book of cash flow to go through and like teach me this stuff. So I, I think it's an important book. It's well-written. It's easy to read. So I, you know, just wanted to thank you for putting it out and, and you're spot on with how it affects the industry. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. I was, always, you know, and the other thing about construction is it's actually an extremely complex financial structure too. Like if you look at mobilization, funding, people think we must have this complex finance. Our PL is like a joke. It's like, there's two ways to earn money. You have interest <laughs> and closing costs. That's it right? There's no products. There's no inventory. There's no like raw goods that turn into finished goods. I mean, that's it. Our, our two expenses are really our team and the cost of capital. I mean, that's it. And so it's the most basic PL and it's super complex. It's not. The other side of it is uh, on the construction end, you have all of that. Plus you have house accounts, you have job accounts, you have many, 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 many vendors associated to projects and the business. You have overhead, complex overhead allocations. It's a, it's a pretty complex like financial structure just to run the business, manage the cash, manage the, the just the financial acumen of the, uh, to give you good and accurate information by product or by uh, project, 
then roll up into one company. I mean, you, it, it's not just as easy as like just create this little whimsical spreadsheet that can do it as if you were just like selling at a lemonade stand. You know, you got lemons and juice and that's it and you sell it. You know, it's 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 not it's so there's a lot going on there. Not to mention there's there's way, way more zeros involved in a construction project because the numbers are bigger, which inherently make it more complex too. So it's hard. It is. It's kind of like an enigma, right? And and granted, I'm on the GC side, so ours is is tamer than you know the subcontractors for sure. You know, we don't we don't have to buy much in the way of materials and, and raw goods. You know, ours is a different different entity. But our subs, our guys out there, it sometimes I, I don't know how they do it because it is phenomenally complicated. And you know, when you touch on things like the the 30, 60, 90 day window theory of getting paid if you don't have a handle on your cash flow whether you're a sub or a gc if you don't have a handle on it i mean you could you could be dead in the water before you even start and mm -hmm. i've seen it happen like we've seen some of our our trusted partners our subs go down the shitter because that happens and you know we as a GC, we work really hard to get payments out as soon as possible. We, we push for 15 day terms on all of our contracts with owners, but you know, shit happens still. And there will come a time when the owner doesn't pay or can't pay or, you know, something comes up and, you know, we'll tap into our line of credit as much as we feasibly can, you know, until that's exhausted to, to pay our guys. But you know, worst case scenario, if we've tapped out that we've tapped out every other resource we have, we can't, I, I don't get paid either. So there's not like a bucket of money sitting next to me that I can just grab and, you know, throw a sprinkle here and a sprinkle there. So right. it's, it's really, uh, it's an interesting conundrum. I'll put it that way. It's true. It, it's, um, and there's not endless amounts of cash. And then the, the other big thing, which we didn't even touch on is the industry itself. Banks aren't super pumped to to just provide those types of lines of credits to any construction company so to get one it's usually which is great but it's usually a little undersized for what you need and that's even if you can get one right and so that's hard to do too and and you know floating 30 and 60 days of just your business expenses is is a hard ask for anybody it it really is it, mm -hmm. it absolutely is well and i i think that's why in construction, the people that make it in the commercial side, which is what we're really talking about in having terms, right? 30, 60, 90 days is the hard part, right? But that's also why a lot of guys stay in the residential side of the business is because they they can't, well, they can't handle the cash and they can't handle spec books, bidding, everything else that goes into the commercial side of construction. You know, most people end up staying in that residential side, which is why you have more contractors on the residential side right. for that reason, you know? Yeah. Well, and, you know, we get asked once in a while, once in a great while, we'll bring in a new sub who is primarily residential. And the first thing they want is a deposit. And it's like, Hey bro, sorry, that that's not how we play in this sandbox. I, I don't have a deposit to give you. You yeah. know, if I went and asked a, one of the owners, one of our developer clients for a deposit, that'd be the last time I worked for them. Right. Even though, even though that used to be very commonplace prior to 2008 and nine, you, you know, you'd sign the contracts and 10% bank would send 10% of the month, whole contract value out the door for everybody. 
Yeah. Yeah, no longer. <laughs> no longer, yeah. So Scott, and, would you say that that cash flow management is by and large the, the biggest challenge that, well, let's focus on subs because I, I assume and I think from previous conversations, that's who you deal with more often. Um, is that the biggest challenge that most subcontractors in construction are facing outside yeah, of things like labor and government? Yeah, exactly. I mean, they all tie together, right? Because I mean, what's the easiest way to solve the labor problem? Well, if, you, if you're paying everybody in seven days and everyone else is paying in 30, it's a great, you, you probably have all the labor you want. And some people do, right? You know, <laughs> um, but that's not, you need cash to do that. So the cash flow management is by far and away what we see um, is either the juice where you get this, you have all the success and you're actually enjoying your job or you don't get the cash flow management and you are struggling you know you could be growing and growing but you're either working for the same paycheck or you're growing and growing but you still feel always broke you're growing and growing but one every time you're just about to get some wind you one project goes bad because it's all that like borrowed and shuffled cash that all of a sudden one project goes down and eats up all of your profit and now you're chasing again that's always always almost always cash flow um and, and it's because of those necessities of having to take money from one place to the other. And sometimes it's just not realizing that, you know, if you have a, a million dollar job and you may have a 20% profit in it. So let's say that's $800,000 of cost, right? That you could take 10, $1 million projects with 800,000 of cost and execute all of them. Some of them might only need 150,000 of that 800 to actually get to cash flow positive for the project. And others might need the entire 800,000. And I can tell you a great, great majority of subcontractors and, and contractors, anyone executing the work has no clue whether it's 150 or 800 typically until they're already into the job and it might be too late. And so that Explain project, that. yeah. Huh? Explain that. Like, what do you mean by they need 150 grand to make that cash flow positive of that 800,000. So if you, without giving too much away, cause obviously we want people to buy the book here, yeah. but uh, you know, explain like, what do you mean by they need that 150 grand on some projects to be cash flow positive for the remainder of that project? Yeah, and I can, I'll give it to you exactly how it's in the book. Cause I've said it a million times. So I've said it on many, anything in this book right here that I've got, I've put this, I've said it. It's on our YouTube channel. It's written. It's been stated. I've probably even talked to Matt about it before. It's all just in here in a different way. But what I mean by that primarily is there's two things that I think every construction contractor does really well that we see. One, they have a bid process. They, they Whether their bids are good or not and whether they have the right, what they think they have or not, that's a different story. But they have a process they follow that they they know what their costs are and what their anticipated profit is. And they have a method for figuring that out. There's an entire chapter in there about the difference between markup versus margin. And it's pretty eye-opening when you see the example that I put out there. But that that's one thing everybody does really well. The second thing is everybody knows what schedule they're supposed to keep. I mean, I'll see some of the most dynamic Gantt charts in a construction business with the most <laughs> least sophisticated financial folks and then you'll take the most sophisticated financial business and they don't even know what a Gantt chart is necessarily. You know what I mean? So there's like, that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of talent and resilience in construction that never gets really recognized. And so anyway, those two things are great. 
But what you have to figure out next is how much of that cash do I have to spend across that schedule and when? And those factors are determined by a couple things. One, what's my direct labor on that project? Let's just say of the 800,000 using this example, let's say $300,000 of that cost is labor, okay? Well, if 300,000 of that is your direct labor, that's one set of circumstances. If 300,000 of that is subcontract labor, that's an entirely different scenario from a cash flow perspective. I mean, your bid looks the same, but well, how much cash do you actually need on a frequent basis? Like if you're going to pay your subcontract labor every week, then it probably looks just like your direct labor does. If you're going to pay your subcontract labor paid when paid, it looks totally different. So there's the easiest example. So now you, let's just say it's subcontract versus direct. Well, now you know for sure of the 800,000, you certainly don't need that 300 grand if it's paid when paid, okay? Let's take your supplier terms. Let's say another 400,000 of the 800 is in material. Well, is your is your supplier going to let you pay when you get paid or do they have you have to pay in 30 days? Yeah. If you have to pay in 30 days, okay, great. If you order at the end of the month, right when you put your invoice in, then maybe you can use that 30 days to stretch it. But what if you order a product on the first, second, or third of the month? You, you're now eating up your 30 days with your supplier while you're still working because you can't invoice to the end of the month. And so there's enough, that 400 grand could all of a sudden be cash you actually need somewhere. So very quickly, you could go from $800,000 of cost but you only having to invest maybe a few hundred grand of your own cash or cash from somewhere, right? And when I say cash, I just mean operating cash. It doesn't necessarily mean a loan. It doesn't necessarily mean anything other than you have a pile here and how big does the pile need to be for you to pick from it to do what you got to do when you have to do it. And so that's the biggest, that's the best way I can try to explain that scenario. And so a lot of people go, well, yeah, I don't, I don't know. You know, how do I know that? Well, that's where that project cash flow tool that we created. And candidly, we created that because we needed to know that information in order to assess whether we could help somebody with a loan. So it was really an underwriting tool that very quickly we realized when we showed it to customers, hey, this is what you need, this is what you're going to do, this is how we're going to use it. They would be like, Well, how do you know that? Well, that doesn't seem right. They they or they'd come in asking for a half a million dollars and we tell them they only need 200. Well, that can't be true. How is that? I have this much cost and that. And we'll say, well, yeah, but here's, you told us your terms are this, your labor is this, this is your cost. This is what you're going to estimate billing. Well, here it all is. We lay it all out in this nice schedule. And we come back to them. They're like, yeah, you're right. Okay, cool. Great. No problem. You know? And so the key thing is making sure you have the right amount of money available to you from one source or the other, i.e. The, either the project and payments or a loan from like mobilization funding or the operating cash flow you have or a line of credit that can cover it um, that you already have. And so those are the big delineating factors between 150. Do I need 150 or do I need the whole 800? And you can see how quick it could turn, right? Like turns on a drop of a dime. And I think that's why your cash flows tool or, or you know, any good cash flow schedule is so important because without that, to, to a sub, to a GC, to anybody, it's kind of just guessing, right? You're just kind of like, close your eyes and, and throw a dart. You're like, all right, well, I need this much to start. And if you can actually sit down and, and reasonably use, use some logic and, and kind of spec out, you know, the next 
30, 60, 90 days of your project. And then the whole thing after that, you can, you can get pretty damn accurate on what your costs are going to be. But if you don't have that organized tool to start with, you're, you're shooting, you know, blanks the whole time. That's right. And where you get, um, where you can get stuck or where we like, we, where we get, where you can get stuck, but we can add value is adding things like, Hey, let's stress test this model. Let's just, let me just show you what this looks like. If it takes 45 days instead of the 30, you estimated, let me show you what this looks like. If it rains really hard or snows really a lot for two weeks and the project gets shut down. Um, or, Hey, let me show you what it looks like. If you just went to your supplier and got 40 day, 45 day terms, you only need half the amount alone. Like those are the types of things we're telling people in advance and they're taking this project cash flow tool. And ma- imagine like, here's a great example. Imagine having a $400,000 project that you are going to either go, let's just, and let's just say you're, you're doing underground work. And so you're going to go buy pipe, right? You're going to go to pipe and you're going to figure this out. You go to your three suppliers and you're like, Hey, I got $400,000. I'm going to spend. Here's the deal. This is my cash flow. This is what it looks like. I need one of you all to give me 45 day terms or 50 day terms. Here's how it's laid out. Here's how I'm going to pay you. This is why I need that versus going into one of the suppliers and just begging and start or just start ordering. And then you have to try to negotiate it after you've already ordered. And so this tool gives these, our clients or anyone that uses it, the ability to actually go to suppliers who, by the way, at the beginning of a job, or will do a lot more for you to get $400,000 worth of orders from you than they will once they're already on the job with a job account and a lien notice out there or not a lien notice, but a notice to owner. And so it's just incredibly powerful and it gives you that leverage and sophistication to ask for the things you need and put you in a place of, I don't want to use the word superiority. I don't mean that, but um, you you were much more in an abundance mindset than a scarcity mindset in the sense that you go to your supplier and ask for 45 day terms. They're going to think I'm weak instead of saying, no, I need 45 day terms because look, I don't want to borrow all this money for this reason, but here's why it's perfectly acceptable and why you should still do it. Well, and I think that's just it, Scott is, and that's spot on is it people have been in the dark for so long about where their cash is, how much they need, what's reasonable and one of the other things that that comes to mind in this, and again, I, I have my book arrived this week, so I will read it as soon as I get home. Nice. Uh, is but I've been thinking about it because in the in the design world, right? We don't have our in the on the design side of the table in construction. Our expenditure is people, right? That that's really it. We don't have the construction side where you're buying equipment and all this other stuff. But what I've noticed on the design side, and I'm curious your take on this for um, what you see in subcontractors, but is being aware of milestone markers, right? Of like the 25th of the month and when you invoice, right? Like how much did you hit that milestone for the month so that you can invoice for, you know, and on the design side, it'd be like a design document set or 50% CD set or a, whatever your milestone mark is to where... I've had it to where we push deadlines to like the second of the month. Well, now we're not going to invoice for that for another 28 days or 22 days. So in kind of informing your clients on these cash flow pieces, does that help to also inform operations of like, Hey guys, the more that we can get done before, you know, the 25th or whatever our bill date is or invoice date to the owner, 
you know, to help our cash flow position. Has that been something that that's been talked about? And again, if it's in the book, you know, we could stop. Yeah. There. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I do touch on that a little bit in the book. It's more along the lines of like building your schedule of values and the critical nature of why that's important and understanding, like to your point there, if you, um, if you, I, I use this one example and it came from a client, they had, um, they were renovating an apartment complex and turning it into condos. All right. And so the way they could invoice was when they when a when a condo was completely when an apartment was completely renovated, they could invoice for the entire unit. Well, if the plumber or the electrician got behind and they they were the drywall sub, for example, and they couldn't they were waiting for them to get the stuff done and they were behind. They basically had their own labor that's just burning every week because they're not going to fire everybody or send them home or tell them you can't work this week, but you work next week. That's super convenient for me and terrible for you. You know, <laughs> they can't do that, but they can't invoice for what was otherwise 75 or 80% complete for that unit either. So they actually built or they accepted a very bad schedule of values from a practical nature for the intention that they didn't even have control over the things they could do. So, you know, that's one example. I think you made another good example where, where um, it, if you have to get to a certain phase and that phase is, is objective, it's easy to say, I got there and here it is. If it's subjective, then it makes it even harder because you could get, there could be an argument over whether or not you're really 50% complete to the milestone or you should build a milestone. So those things are critical. And I talk about that in the schedule, building your schedule of values with the, with in mind, like be in mind of like you walk yourself through the project as you're building it. How easy is it going to be to build this specific milestone when you get there and what parameters might not, might impact you that you are in control of and out of control of. And then um, where we also touch on that um, is if you have a project cash flow that's month one expects you to invoice 200 grand and you only are at a point where you're going to invoice 75 grand, well, yeah, that's going to impact some things significantly, right? It doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean you're not going to get paid, but it certainly could turn the $250,000 that you thought you needed to execute this project into 350,000 maybe, right? And if not, how do you go about making those adjustments? And sometimes it might be as simple as, oh, we're, we're not going to order material for another two weeks now. So you just move that you just move the cash flow. And it doesn't mean you have to invest more dollars. It doesn't mean you need to borrow more. It doesn't even mean you're in trouble. It just means that you're just going to order the material late, later in the project cash flow. So one of the things we do with that tool is it becomes actual every week. It's actually what happened and so you just keep making those adjustments and you can keep seeing where you're where you're at always in real time but yeah it's, a, it's an interesting concept that that's switching from forecasted to actual right and, and i think you actually touch on that in that that verbiage but um it also kind of goes back to the extreme need for communication on a site and frankly what we're here for what the gc is is there for because if if my guys, my superintendents are not holding to our schedule that we put out, you know, at the beginning of the project to all of our subs, that has a definite and potentially drastic effect on what our subs can then invoice in any given month. And to your point, Scott, if if you get too far off of your initial cash flow schedule, your initial initial schedule of values, it could be disastrous if you're not paying attention. 
And so to, right. to, to flip that from the forecasted to actual and actually have then historical data to look back at, I think that's hugely powerful. Mm-hmm. And are you on budget or off budget? Right. Know, even the labor, like if it takes you an extra couple of weeks to do something and labor is a big portion of your scope of work, three weeks of labor sometimes can blow up your whole profit or, or could certainly impact it, you know? So you got to, you want to know those things as you're doing them more than you want to do at the end. And a lot of people always say, well, Scott, why does this got to be weekly? Like, why don't you do this monthly? And I say that the first thing I always say is, what if you order material at the beginning of the month versus the end of the month? Does that make a difference in the month? Like, yeah. I'm like, well, <laughs> there you go. That's why we do it weekly. Because if you don't, yeah, if you owe hundred, if you order on the seventh of the month and you have 30 days, then you're going to owe a hundred grand, not any time of the month, it's going to be the beginning of the month. And that has a whole different, there's three other weeks in that month. There might be a whole different impact of whether you have cash available or not. So it, it is important to track weekly and it is important to make sure it's actuals. And it's a lot easier to do too. If you're touching it every week, you know what happened. You make the adjustments, you move it on and it's simple. Try to touch it once a month. It's just a real pain. Yeah. Cause you know, when, when debt comes knocking, he doesn't like to wait right? He wants his money now. And, right, you know, we have not, not really anymore, but when I first started at, at Schaefer Construction, we had some guys still, some, some subs that were um, respectfully less sophisticated, right? Smaller guys, you know, they, they took on smaller projects, but they wouldn't even put a schedule of values together. I mean, it was like wild west shit. Like, well, here's our number. It's like, okay, well, I can, I can live with that as a GC, but can you like, do you even know where this is coming from? And we would try and try and try, like, just, just come into the office. I'll help you put it together. I'll help you put a sworn statement, all this stuff so that we can all see what's going on here. Cause especially once the projects get bigger, the bank's going to require that anyways. But right. I mean, some of them, it was like, you were asking them to, you know, to look into their, their deepest, darkest secrets. And it's like, guys, you're missing the point. I, I don't need to know your, your ins and outs. I'm, we're trying to help you because we need to make sure as a GC that you're financially solvent enough to finish this damn job, not just start it. And it, it, it was a, a battle with a lot of them. And, you know, luckily most of them are gone now, but it, yeah. it's an interesting difference. It, it's kind of that, that mix then still between the, the residential guys kind of morphing into the commercial world, but, but not wanting to go all the way over to the, to the dark side. Yeah. I, I think you bring up another good point because sometimes it's not even sophistication. It's just what they, what they need to do. You know, they don't understand those numbers, but sometimes they do understand them and they don't want to share it because they're afraid of what they think you're trying to do to them or what you think you're not, it's not really what you're saying. It's what I think. I hear you saying, but what you really mean is blah, 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 blah. And that means, and some of those things, if I'm going to fill the blanks in are, you just want to know what my numbers are. You're just going to try to get me to have a lower price. You're going to screw me somehow. And it's these stigmas that are there. And it's sometimes it's, they're actually super sophisticated, but they don't want to share because they feel like the more they give or not, or it's sorry, or worse, it's a sub who has the strategy of bidding low so that they can make their money on change orders, which is a disaster because the whole change order thing, it's not like there's an extra pool of money there to say who can acquire the change order money fastest and it's at a better margin than everything else is bid. It's it's really like 
the owner doesn't want to spend another nickel that they already budgeted, A. B, the bank doesn't necessarily say, hey, by the way, I put a 20% contingency in here for you in case you decide to float over cost. And so a lot of times it's going to be someone reaching into their pocket to pull that cash out or it's got to come from somewhere else. And so it's a horrible strategy from a subcontractor perspective. And um, we talk a lot about that because as much as you might think you're going to, there's going to be change orders and this is where you're going to make your money. And, and oftentimes that could be true when you look back on a project, you made your money on the change orders, but that doesn't mean it's a good strategy because that just means you happen to nail a good project where someone had contingencies or some other sub got hosed and you didn't, but it doesn't mean it's, it's there. There's not a pool of contingency change order money um, that's out there. There, there never is. I, I can't tell you how many arguments we get in in my office about this. We do almost primarily design build work. And when some of my people will come in and say, all right, we need to review this change order. My first thing on my mouth is no, we, we're not doing change orders. We're the top of the, we're the tip of the spear. If there's a change order here, unless the owner added a wing to the building, you know, or a bathroom group, there are no change orders. And it's, there is no bucket of money. I love that reference, right? I love to keep a bucket of money under my desk. I would love to have it with me everywhere I go, but that's not the reality. And our mm -hmm. contingencies, you know, depending on how we structure our contracts, we have control over it, but that doesn't mean it's just our bucket of money to play with, right? We have to justify the shit out of every penny that comes out of that yeah. contingency to the owners and especially to the financing entity. So anything we can do to avoid change orders, we we push very, very hard because it's not a, it's old school construction mentality too. It's that hard bid, low cost or low bid rather uh, mentality where, you know, you can get a sneak a fast one by and, you know, to, to go back a step, that's not why we're asking our subs for their schedule of values either. Like, I don't care how much money they're making. I hope they're doing great. I hope they're doing, you know, margins that make me blush as long as they're doing a good job and, and they're meeting our schedule and our, our quality requirements. And, and I went and sold the project with them included. Hey man, you could be making 80%. That's awesome. Show me how to do it someday. But you know, it, it's a different mentality too. And I get that a lot of them are, you know, especially guys that don't know me well, don't know us well, they're hesitant because the first thing that some of those, those asshole GCs will say is, well, you are making too much money now. Let's yeah. figure out a way to, to reduce that. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, and you should make off money because if you, the most important thing is to execute the work and perform. And if you perform and execute, people are going to care less about your price. They might come in and say, hey, man, I want to give you this job. Is there anything you can do? And you can say no, but they just they don't want to do the job without you because you're so valuable that and, and such so easy to work with and so valuable that they don't want to really do the job without you. They'll rather go buy out other subs to try to pay for your extra scope of work price. You know what I mean? That's the key. That's the where you want to be. And by the way, to get to that point, it's a lot easier to do when you're working profitably without under the gun, without being stressed on how you're going to make payroll. And that doesn't mean borrow money either. That I'm talking about like doing profitable work, having a real profitable business. You have cash in it. You're completing jobs. You're doing it in the right way. 
those things are going to be so much more beneficial for you than trying to just get work. Like don't chase top line revenue, chase the bottom line revenue, even if it's less projects. Some of these guys I've talked to, like, you know, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get to 30 million. I'll be like, dude, well, how much are you going to make at 30 million? You're going to make, hopefully you make three times more than you do at 10 million. But if you don't, you shouldn't get there. You shouldn't even do it. <laughs> you know? And cause well, what do you mean? And the question, sometimes I'll be asked, what do you mean? I'm like, I mean, doing $30 million of work is going to be more than three times the effort of 10. I promise you that because it's just way, way, way different of the type of amount of personnel you need, your internal capabilities, the cost of growth. You know, if you're not going to make enough money more, I see too many companies that are 10 million grow into 30 and make the same or less. Because you got that many more good people you need, that much more talent, that much many more managers, that many more super pro, supervisors, pro, uh, project managers. I mean, it's just hard. So you want to focus on what you're making, not what you're, um, not just the contract value. Yeah. Revenue is a sexy metric, right? It's it's really, it's fun for guys to say, ah, oh, we, we're a $150 million company. Well, that's, that's awesome. If you're making, you know, your margin still, if you're making you know, 10, 15%. But if you're making 2%, then who gives a shit? Yeah, dude, you'll love this. So in Arte, I went in Arte in 2018. I went to my first event in 2019. Intimidated. I thought everyone was a hero. And, you know, I was going to be the low man on the pole. And, and I was, and, I, and still am. But one of the things that I found remarkable that took me a couple of years to figure out was everyone talked about, oh, I'm 100 million, 150 million, 200 million. And, you know, then I came across one of the guys in, in the group, right? Like the, one of the one of the top little cliques, I would call it, right? And he was, everyone was like tooting his horn about $150 million, $150 million, you're great, you're this, you're that. You've grown from 50 to 150, oh my gosh. And he was a general contractor. And he was a general contractor doing like, regular projects all across the country think of like single tenant leasing type stuff right and had a couple good like buyers at 7-eleven you know chick-fil-a's your starbucks all great work but the folks around him they have no idea that if he's making three to five percent on that his real revenue in that company is like six million <laughs> you know what I mean? For for those guys, like if you were making a widget, if you know, if I was making a widget here and I was selling this these widgets, I'm really generating six million dollars worth of money. Hundred million might be coming in, but eighty nine, you know, ninety five percent of it is going to the electrical, the sub, the site guy, and you're just you're more. There's a construction management aspect, and it wasn't until that moment, as silly as this sounds, I dawned on me. I'm like, you know what, man, I gotta start explaining that this top line thing is. That has a huge cost too to run and control $150 million worth of money coming through has a cost to it. There's people and humans you need there. And really that's got to come out of what otherwise might have been like six or seven million. Now, the savvy GC doing that, maybe he pick, he picks up a framing crew, right? Maybe they do start doing their own site work, their own demo. And you can start collecting more of that. And that's how you make more money in in a as a GC in a scope of work like that. But now you're also you're basically doing the scope of work instead of subbing it out that's all that is but um it wasn't until i talked to that gentleman after he's like yeah none of these guys get it but i'm afraid to like tell them you know i'm like don't tell them you're fine but just you know i know i i now know i get it you know and i'm like it's tough i'm like i'm in the same boat everything says i'm some genius because i 
have a loan business. And no, I borrow money. I lend it out. Can't lose it. But spent plenty of many years losing it, doing stupid stuff. I mean, it didn't, I couldn't have wrote this book in year one. You know, I couldn't have wrote this book after two conversations. It was like a pile of mistakes, you know, that just, you know, were terrible, like horrible. Like, so anyway, it's just, it's important. I always bring that story up because people really need to focus on what you're going to make and how it, how much it costs you to make that more than chasing the top line revenue or this huge contract or how awesome that contract is. Make, make sure you're going to make money on it because your whole life, your employees, your family, your employees' families are going to have a way better time as a, as a smaller business that makes more money than a larger business that makes less money. A hundred percent. I could not agree more. And, and it's, you know, yeah, you, you might make 150 in contracts, but that fucking samurai comes in like Musashi and whooshink, that cost of goods sold is all of a sudden now you're looking at this abysmal little number and we get asked that all the time. Well, how much, you know, what do you guys do in contracts? The, who cares? Doesn't matter. I, I can tell you what I make, you know, off mic, I'll tell you what I make, but yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what we're signing is if we're not making any money and if we're not executing on those contracts and if we're not, you know, filling our buckets of money at the same time, it's all just vanity. So yeah. I, you got to nail it. Like you nail your systems and nail it before you scale it. You know, guy says all the time and it's getting some great phrase, <laughs> but you're right. But that's how, that's how you grow your revenue. But you want to make sure you know, you're making what you think you're making at a place where you can manage that. And then add, then, you know, also, you know what? Perfect. I'm not going to build Chick-fil-A's because I'm not even making money on that. My Starbucks places I'm building, they're paying for all the losses. I actually have a Chick-fil-A. So you know what? I'm going to do Instead of 40 million, 20 at Chick-fil-A and 20 at Starbucks, I'm just going to do the 20 at Starbucks and make twice as much. And you never know that unless you're doing job costing, customer costing, project costing. That's why these numbers are so critical. I'll give you a great. I had this electrical contractor, awesome guy, been a client a long time. He's a great friend. And he um, had a, you know, by all means, a $15 million commercial subcontracting electrical business. Great success, makes a great income, had plenty of his own fair share of mistakes, does some bonded work, does some government work. He started looking at his numbers and realized that the $3 million worth of service work he does in the $15 million work is more profit than the entire $12 million of the general of the of the of the commercial work. And he said to himself, Scott, what am I doing? Why am I doing that? I was like, well, pride would be the only answer if you do it after this, because this makes no sense to me. <laughs> and so he, he's got like a third of the employees. He's like, I'm just going to grow this side of the business to six, seven, 10 million. And then he finds out that that's more, not only is it more profitable, it's easier to execute. You get paid faster because you finish faster. It's a, only a 30 or 45 day project instead. And, and, you know, so you, you th those are the types of things you find out. Now, that doesn't mean you stop doing general contracting work, but it might mean you only work for certain GCs. It might mean you only work for certain types of projects. It might mean you only are on design build projects and you're never going to work for municipalities or certain cities anymore. All those things are the kind of decisions that, that come out of knowing those numbers project by project and customer by customer. Scott, first off, Again, congrats on the book. Secondly, thank you for coming on and sharing all this. I know we're running up here on on time. Um, 
Um, guys, if, if Scott has not convinced you to go and buy his book uh, through this episode, I don't know what's wrong with you. You need to go buy it. Um, Scott, where is it available? Where's Where can they grab the book? Well, it should be available on Amazon and everywhere else, but I hate Amazon. Like, they're the worst. And you know what? I don't know who to blame if it's Amazon or the publisher. The only thing I would ask Amazon to do is at least let people buy it and ship it to them later. But for some reason, they can't figure that out, even as of this morning. So go to our website. You can go right there on our website, uh, mobilizationfunding.com. You can go to the book resources page. There's a direct link to the publisher, and you can purchase it directly from the publisher. Um, of course, check Amazon if it says it's temporarily out of stock or whatever other phrase that Amazon wants to come up with for whatever reason. And I'm sure I did something wrong because there's plenty of people selling books on Amazon. So I'm, I'm going to just take the blame for it. But it doesn't mean it's less frustrating. So get it from there. And if by all means that doesn't work, DM me on LinkedIn or email me or text me, whatever you want to do. But you can access, you know, what any one of those fashions and I'll make sure that you can get a book. Um but you can, the best way to do it is go right to our website, to the book resources page. It also has all the information that's in the book on the project cash flow too and all that and a direct link to buy it directly from the publisher. Guys, check it out. We'll have all of Scott's links in the show notes. Um, I highly, highly suggest you you give him a follow, buy the book and, and check out what he's doing and the tools he's literally given away for free. There's, you can't go wrong there. So Scott, I, I appreciate you coming on, man. I, we could stretch this out to a three hour episode, I'm, I'm sure, but uh, it was great chatting again. I appreciate it guys. Thank you very much for having me on. And I really, uh, I, I'm grateful for the opportunity. Thank you for helping me with the book and hopefully we get as many people's hands and any questions. I'm always happy to come on. Thank you guys very much. Awesome. And guys, just to wrap it up, I know this might be a little complicated. It might sound like a lot of work. It might uh, sound like, you know, it's something you may or may not want to do. As you can tell by what Scott talked through today, like you're going to gain so much insight to your business on a weekly basis. You're going to feel so much better about your cash flow and numbers once you get this down. And of course, working with Scott, his team to understand your numbers, you know, Scott will help walk you through it. Know Scott well enough that you know that's what he's there for is to help you guys understand your numbers to make sure that you feel comfortable in in doing it. You make sure that you're capitalized correctly on each and every one of your projects, and even if you're doing you know two projects or two hundred, um, having these numbers is going to give you the insight that you're going to need to really run your business the way that it needs to be run and do it profitably. Um, so again, Scott, thank you so much for for coming on. And uh, that's going to be this episode of the Construction Corner Podcast. Until next time. <laughs>